Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts. So if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster.com. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Business of Marketing podcast where we have conversations with some of the most influential and thought-provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge. Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. You know, no matter what you do in life or what industry you're in, there'll always be a group of cool kids. And everybody wants to be, every person, every brand wants to be at the table with the cool kids. So a few years ago, I was at my favorite marketing conference, and I was invited out to dinner. That night, I found myself sitting with all the marketing industry keynote speakers and all the authors that I admired. It was at that moment that I realized I was at the cool kids table. From one of those people, I've literally taken notes on his speaking style and the way he educates while providing entertaining thought leadership on marketing and business. And I'm honored to have him as a guest today. He's a best-selling author and internationally acclaimed keynote speaker. Before building and selling a thriving digital marketing agency, he produced for NBC's Today Show and worked for the Muppets in New York. He uses his magnetic speaking style while teaching leaders how to grow their businesses. And as a mainstay on Global Marketing Influencer List, he has crafted documentary films and award-winning content for startups to Fortune 500 brands. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Andrew Davis. Hey, man. Thank you so much for inviting me to the cool kids table. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, man. You made the cool kids table cool, man. (laughs) (laughs) Not me. (laughs) There are lots of people before me. It's so nice to be at the same table with you, though. Definitely, man. Definitely. Good good to meet you and, and, you know, to have a chance to have a conversation with you today. Uh, and, you know, and and bask in some of that, uh, that energy that you, you have when you were, when you were speaking. (laughs) Thanks, man. You too. I'm excited. This is going to, it's going to be fun. So, so Andrew, now the audience listening to this podcast ranges from senior marketing execs to those looking to start a marketing career. And most of us, myself included for sure, didn't start on a path to be known as a marketer. So you've got an interesting backstory. Can you give us a brief map of how you reached the point, this point in your career? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The short map is uh, basically I start. I wanted to be in television. So I started my career in the television business. Uh, I know you were, you were a DJ. You know, I, wasn't, I didn't think I'd be a marketer. So I, I went to t- school for television and film. My first job out of, of college was working at a local television station. I produced two uh, programs every week. One was a, a medical call-in show. It was like uh, basically hypochondriacs calling in for an hour and they got to talk to a doctor live on the air. But it, like the FCC prohibits you get from giving medical advice on the air. So it was basically, you could only talk around the problem and then just say, go see a doctor. That was the whole show. It was a terrible show. But it was the highest rate of <laughs> medical show on television at the time because it was the only medical show on the air at the time. Uh, and I, I produced another show called Adler Online, which was a late night call and talk show. And it was basically just a right wing Republican host in a very democratic blue state. 
and you know people would call in and yell at him and i just picked the the least drunk person to put on the air that was my job <laughs> but it was great it was a great experience and then from there i went on to you know pr- i produced uh, segments for the today show i worked for charles Keralt. i wrote uh, se- some stuff for his last show called an american moment and uh, also my stories appeared in his book called an american moment so i learned a lot about storytelling and uh, and television. And then I, I got a job, my dream job at the Jim Henson company working for the Muppets. And that's where, that's actually the, the, the pivot point. That's where I learned everything <laughs> I ever needed to know about marketing because the Jim Henson company is able to create content that inspires you to buy this, to buy stuff you didn't know you needed. So no one needs a Grover plush doll or a big bird <laughs> pillowcase or a sleeping bag with Dora, the Explorer, you, like all this kids show stuff is what you know the Jim Henson company is really good at selling and that's where they make their money they make great content that inspires people to buy stuff and uh it was there that i realized wow uh, you know, if you can create great content that inspires to buy people to buy things, you could really change the world. And I, I, after the Jim Henson company, which by the way, as a side note, wasn't, wasn't the best job ever. The best thing to come out of the Jim Henson company was I met my wife there. So that was, that was the highlight. Uh, and then I, you know, I went on to work at some startups in marketing. Um, and, uh, I started my own agency with a, a journalist friend of mine. So neither of us knew anything about running an agency or marketing. We grew that business until 2012 when we, I, I moved on, sold the business. And then uh, since then, I've just been writing books and, and speaking about marketing and thinking about marketing a lot. So that's, that's my trajectory into the marketing world. It wasn't so short. Sorry. Hmm. I could have. No, that's great because I, I, there's so many questions come out of that. So for one, uh, well, let's get the agency first. So with the agency, you know, coming from where you came up into that point, was it more about about marketing or was it about what you had just learned about how content was able to sell things? I mean, how did that play together? That was essentially the kind of like, I mean, you know, we were very naive young guys. We decided, we thought, look, we'll create, we wanted to create documentary films. So Jim and I were like, we're going to create documentary films, but we were like, how are we going to find the money to do this? And we thought, well, we'll take on some clients and we'll tell stories that help them sell stuff. And that was kind of the evil, you know, corporate empire was going to help us fund (laughs) these great documentaries that would change the world uh, for the same reason, which is content can inspire people to do things they didn't know they needed to do or wanted to do. And it turned out out that we were so good at and built such a a business, you know, uh, for, for companies to inspire change that we realized we didn't have time to create documentary films anymore. So the, the principle was the same, you know, our first client was actually a financial investment company called Putnam investments. And, um, you know, from there we, we did all sorts of stuff for all sorts of brands that, you know, selling everything from computer equipment. Uh, we, you know, one of our clients was Dell down to small startups, a company called V brick. And, um, you know, it was, it was the whole principle was if you can create content that inspires people to take action, to do something different, then you can sell them anything you want, uh, you know, at at any time. Uh, and that's, that's essentially been the principle that I learned in television. I still believe in today. So was there ever a struggle, and this is not just for the agency, but for, for what you see any, any business do, was there ever a struggle to create interesting, engaging entertainment things from brands and products that you knew were boring? No, no, never a challenge? I never, it's never been a challenge. I think, because I think there's a formula Lee, like I think, 
I think, you know, television, what I learned in television is that there are no new ideas, right? Like you don't have to be some creative genius to make it, uh, you know, in television. All you need to do is understand what people like, and then you have to be able to break that down into some core components. And then you, you basically have to twist that idea to fit the audience. So as long as you understand what the audience is already consuming and what they like, all you need to do is take a hook, which is I learned in the television business. A hook is just a simple twist on a familiar theme. And you just extract that from the stuff they like. So like, let's say it's an engineering audience that loves Mythbusters. Okay, like that, great. I know they love Mythbusters already. I'm just going to take that idea, which is we're going to test some of the biggest myths in the industry, and I'm going to apply it to this boring concept. I don't know, let's say your client just sells shelving units for industrial warehouses. Okay, well, we're going to test myths about industrial strength, you know, shelving uh, with two funny guys, and we're going to do it in a scientific way. And all of a sudden, you've got a creative idea. So for me, it's really your, and actually Carla Johnson is, is the, the, the genius behind this. She's actually done a good job in her latest book um, about helping people understand that creativity is just about connecting dots that don't seem to go together and making mm-hmm. them work. And all of a sudden you look like you're creative. So uh, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so it's, it's, I never have a shortage of ideas. My wife can tell you that. Like I, you know, I woke up this morning and said, I'm going to make a music video. And she's like, well, okay. <laughs> that's just Tuesday. Nothing that's just Tuesday. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I want to make a, I've been, I've had this in my back pocket for a long time, but I want to make a music video called talk data to me. It's, you know, Jason Derulo. Uh, it's like a CMO who's like, just talk data to me. Don't give me any, I don't want to hear any pitches without some data, that kind of thing. As long as you have some ad libs that says Andrew Davis in the yeah, background, exactly. the, way, the way he does that's, it. That's exactly what I'm picturing. <laughs> you got you got to tag it with your name all over the song right. like Jason Derulo does. Yeah. He, every time, that's it. It's good brand building. <laughs> definitely, definitely. You know who wrote and produced the song because he will tell you. He will tell you every time. There's no doubt. <laughs> That is personal Jason branding Derulo right there. And maybe two chains. It's like, you know, whoever it. did it, they got to tell, you know, wait for the verse That's comes right. in two chains. Okay. <laughs> That's right. So you mentioned, you know, when I ask about making content for, for boring brands or, or products, this is a question that I'm sure we all hear a lot because mm-hmm. marketers tend to, especially those who are sitting, they're sitting next to somebody who's marketing for, you know, a cool jacket or clothing company, and they're working in industrial manufacturing. They're like, you know, I can't do what they're doing because, you know, we make screwdrivers and drills. They make cool tennis shoes. So yeah. what I heard and what you said a moment ago is it's more about the person who, who consumes the content who consumes the, the, the product, then it is a product. Right? Absolutely. If you can look uh, like one of the best things you can do is just find out what other content your audience likes to consume. So what magazines do they read? Maybe it's not a print magazine anymore. That's okay. What websites do they visit frequently for information having nothing to do with your product or service, or maybe even their business. If you find out that, you know, all those industrial manufacturers like to surf on weekends and they all read surfing magazines and they all like this surfer or they like this surfing content on YouTube, well then start there, you know, find out what they're doing, what's their hook and how can you apply what you've learned in the content they're creating to then parallel it to you. I'm not saying create surfing content, although you could. I'm saying what do they what 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 do you like and see in that surfing content in the core ingredients, like the meta level ingredients mm-hmm. that you could apply to your content to all of a sudden make it seem creative and different. Yeah. I, I had a random conversation similar to that one a few weeks ago where we were talking about, you know, what are these people like and how do you market to these people rather than about the product. 
And I was like, well, you know, if let's say you're selling kids shoes, do a, some content about playgrounds. They're like, we exactly. can't sell kids shoes like that. So, well, guess who cares about safe playgrounds? Like, exactly. Moms. Who buys shoes? Moms. There you go. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the more you understand about the content they consume, the better off you're going to be in, in finding opportunities for creativity. Cause you're right. Like it's, it feels very limiting when you're like, well, we sell UV light curing glue and that's all we sell. <laughs> and that's, that's our little universe. You're not going to find much creative inspiration there. Uh, and so just like a television show, you know, like the way a television network works is they, they basically put a call out and they say like 9 PMs on Fridays is open right now for the next season. We don't have anything to put on there. And here's the deal. The show before it brings in this kind of audience and the show after it brings in this kind of audience. And we need something that bridges the gap. So when you're pitching TV shows, you start with the audience. And you know this audience is coming in. So you're like, well, what can we create that that audience is going to like? And what can we create that this audience is going to like? And you start looking at what they're consuming. And then you say, all right, what kind of show are we going to put in the middle? That's why you get so many spinoffs because they're like, well, NCIS is a great show. What are we going to put right after it? Well, I don't know. NCS, NCIS New Orleans. Good idea. That's an easy win because they're going to roll right through it, right? Like they just kind of, <laughs> they know it's a simple twist. We're going to just move NCIS from, you know, DC or New York to, to New Orleans, then we'll move it to LA and we've got three hit shows and that's, just, that's it. So don't, don't, don't overthink the creative aspect of it. Just keep it simple. Definitely. So let's switch gears a bit here. There was, um, when I first heard you speak, it was at, um, I think it was at an event where you, I won't get into, I'm going to mention the, the, the actual speaking uh, topic you had later on, but I'll tell you why you caught my attention. So up until that point, um, I had spent eight years working for a customer experience SaaS company mm. and they made software for customer experience. So when I first heard you speaking at this event uh, and you were crossing marketing with customer experience, you naturally had my full attention. So <laughs> <laughs> because those yeah. are two things that just, you know, it was customer service software. It just never really crossed past my mind until I heard you speak on it. So let's talk about marketing's role in the customer experience. How yeah. did you... How did you bring those two things together? For me, it's really easy. Like the, the way I define a customer experience is a series of encounters that leave an impression. So like over the entire experience, a customer or prospect or client has with you, what emojis would you attach to each one of those interactions or encounters? That's what the experience looks like. So just imagine if it's a new customer that signed on today and you send them a welcome letter or a welcome package or you greet them when they come into the store, what emoji are you attaching to that? For example, we just had our air conditioning break a few weeks ago. And when I called the customer support line for our air conditioning company, the services it, they, this is how they answer the phone, Lee. They answer the phone with, how can I help you smile today? <laughs> with no smile. <laughs> no smile. You cannot hear the smile, right? So like they're saying the right thing, but the emoji I attach to that would be like a frowny face annoyed emoji. Like you obviously yeah. don't want to try to make me smile, right? So if you think of every one of those encounters as the customer experience, that is your brand. That is what the brand is. That's all of those emojis averaged out and put on the top as a as an emoji average. That would be the, the 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 brand perception you have in the marketplace. So for me, marketing has to be involved in the customer experience, and marketing is 
a giant part of the customer experience if you consider marketing to have anything to do with brand building. So if you're an executive, would you, you know, hold marketing accountable for, for a portion of the customer experience to make sure they have the uh, right emoji, as you said? Yeah, I, I, I would. Yes. Yeah, 100 percent. I would say that every department should be responsible for a piece of the customer experience. That means accounting, right? Like maybe you don't think of accounting as having something to do with it, especially in the B2B world. You're like, well, they don't really deliver on the. No, they do. Imagine what if you provide a service and your accounting department is the one that sends out the invoices. Every time you get an invoice as a client, what emoji do you attach to that invoice? It's usually a, like, it could be a, oh no, or it might be a, oh my gosh, I can't believe we went over on this month's allotted hours. Like I got to call them and find out. Or maybe you think, oh my gosh, this is so expensive. I wonder if I can find a, a, a cheaper service provider. Those are the emojis. That's part of the experience. Mm. And if your accounting team isn't thinking with your marketing team and your customer experience team and your CEO about what impression you're leaving every time you send a, 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 a uh, an invoice out, you're actually creating a new moment where they may go on a journey to find another pro you know, provider for that service. So we have to be really conscientious of the fact that it's a series of encounters and every little micro encounter can have a big impact on your experience and your churn rate and your customer satisfaction and your overall return on investment for marketing and for, you know, your, your, uh, your, your actual, you know, investment in product. So I don't think there's any department that shouldn't be responsible for ensuring that they're leaving the right kind of impression with every interaction uh, with their customer. Now, this might seem a bit redundant, but I wanted to also know your thoughts on the flip side of that. You know, what part of marketing is the customer experience or not the experience, but the customer, the people who are responsible for customer experience, what is their role in making sure that marketing happens well. Yeah, I think, I, look, I think, I think the customer experience team or the customer success team or the customer service team, whatever they call it in your, mm -hmm. in your you know, organization, I think they're the most valuable asset you have. You know, Michael Brenner has this great, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Lee, but he has this great thing he calls the bullseye org chart. Mm -hmm. Have you seen it before? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. So his bullseye org chart is this idea that the people closest to the customer can add the most value to the organization. And generally, that's not your CEO, right? Your CEO is on the outer rings. If you picture it as a bullseye, your CEO, yeah, they have purvey over a lot of stuff, but they're way outside and far away from the customer who's at the center of that bullseye. Your biggest asset are the people close to the center of the bullseye. So that's your customer service team. And if marketing isn't relying on your customer service team to better understand where the emoji are sour, where the biggest emojis are mind blown emojis happen, right? You're not doing a good job from a marketing perspective, understanding what to market to the clients that you haven't got yet. So my belief is that, you know, if you truly understand how you add value on the customer experience side, meaning after they, somebody's purchased something, you don't know what you're selling to the people who haven't signed up yet. And Rackspace actually in the early 2000s is a great example of this because they also didn't know what they were selling. You know, Rackspace is a big web hosting company yeah. and they mm -hmm. didn't know what they were selling. They were selling feeds and speeds. You know, we have faster, best hosting services. We have 99.9% .9 uptime. Everybody was selling that. It wasn't until they realized that their customers loved their fat, their amazing support. The customer mm -hmm. experience from Rackspace was better than anyone else's. So that's when they said, well, let's listen to our customer service team. They love our customer service team and let's market it as fanatical support. That's marketing, listening to what's working in the customer experience and selling that instead of selling the feeds and speeds and features and benefits. So sell the experience. People will pay 25% more 
more just for a good experience. That that says it all to me. That's interesting because you know typically marketing is thinking about well we're going to market our product, market our service, market our brand, but what you just explained was the the actual functions of the company is worthy of being marketed, like the Absolutely. actual customer experience is worth being marketed. That the, I mean, it's another level. Lee, the Lee, the rest to me, Lee, the rest of it is a commodity. Like I can't think of mm-hmm. anything that anyone sells that's that can't be negotiated or decided as like, hey, I can get that elsewhere, right? For about yeah. the same price. But the thing you can't get elsewhere is an experience provided by that company and those people. And yeah. I go to so many organizations that say, I say, what, is, what differentiates you? What differentiates you? And the more you like drill down and say, well, no, that's a commodity. I can get siding from that guy. Okay, well, what different? The people will say, oh, well, it's my people. Okay, if it's your people, why are your people making a difference? Are they creating a better experience? They better be, because if you're saying it's the people, I want to see that experience being different. So yeah, there's. I think we have a lot of work to do on this front, but I truly believe that the experience is the difference. Yeah, I think that work we have to do was, was evident towards the beginning of the pandemic because there was so much marketing that all of a sudden wanted to showcase frontline workers. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, where were you showcasing them last year? So you know? true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. instead of like at moments or times like these, what about last year when they were important? Um, you know, I worked for a company that one of my first corporate marketing jobs, the company it doesn't exist anymore, probably because of these things. <laughs> yeah, let's just but, say, yes, it's because of these exact yeah, things. Because these exact <laughs> things, probably so. So as you said, their customer, customer service, it was a, uh, a waste management company. And it came down to the smallest things like, did the garbage guy or recycling guy put the bin back in the exact same burn spot on the grass as it was yesterday? You know, did he put it right back there? Because me in the marketing position, I could do all the brochures and tell about it and website and everything. But if their experience was ruined, I, I can't market how good of a service we have when they have firsthand experience, the service isn't that great. So that's so true. It's a two, yeah, two like, way street. I love your example too, because that's what I'm talking about, Lee. It, 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 in every one of the organizations I looked at, it, it ends up being small little things. That, like I call them micro moments, but it's the micro moments that have the biggest impact. Yeah. And if you can just, if you can market yourself as saying, hey, look, we care so much that we put our trash cans back on the same burn mark in your yard or your <laughs> yeah. lawn or your organ, like that shows instead of tells that you have an attention to detail or you care about your customers or you, you know, you have your, your, uh, your laser focused on providing great service. Instead, we hear people, marketing people just using the same language. Like I call it corporate twinning. You know, like Mm -hmm. if you look at 10 waste management websites, just to use your example, they all will say the same thing. We're, you know, we're diligent. We set a schedule. You can trust us. We care about the environment. We have a great recycling pro. Exactly. Right. You know, all the things they say, Mm -hmm. but they don't show you how they do that. When you show someone like, Hey, we care about the environment and we do this. Uh, or instead you invert it entirely and you don't have to say we care about the environment. You say every week we do this and here's a picture of it. That's when people are like, wow, these people are different. Yeah. They're, they're sincere about what they're saying they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, show me instead of tell me is always my motto, <laughs> <laughs> which I well, learned in television. We'll just bring it back to TV. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of show and tell, Drew, let's talk about the content that you create. 
Now, oh, no. is, <laughs> trouble. Okay, so it's full of value, and I advise any any business person to follow your YouTube channel. In fact, before we go too far, I want to go ahead and give your website address. We're not wrapping up, but I want to give your your website address. It's aka drewdavis.com, right? That's it. That's it. aka drewdavis.com. So, you know, while you're you're a you're a speaker, you're an author. Uh, I also have to include you as a content creator. So with an incredible person, yeah, and one with an incredible personal brand. So beyond providing tons of valuable marketing education, tell us your philosophy on creating content and how you use the content that you create. So, um, okay. My philosophy on, (laughs) my philosophy on creating content is pretty simple. Uh, I mean, like, and I feel bad saying this because actually while we're recording this, I've missed three weeks. So like number one is consistency. So I've missed three <laughs> weeks and I probably shouldn't be promoting that. Uh, but I was on vacation for one of those. So I feel like that. You deserve a vacation. Some... Anyway, because consistency is number one. Like you've got to actually deliver reliably to your audience, uh, you know, a piece of content that adds value to their lives. So consistency is pretty simple. Um, you, it, so, and it's got to be frequent enough, meaning like I send mine out every Thursday. So Thursday I've made an appointment with my audience and I try to keep that appointment every single week. And that's my goal to send that, that content out. Uh, the second one is, yeah, you need a hook, like a simple twist on a familiar theme. And so for me, I've been, my whole career has been inspired by children's television and, uh, television personalities. So I don't know if you, do you know Beekman's world, Lee? Do you remember that show? I don't, I don't think so. Young. Yeah, Beekman's World was like a science show for Oh, Beekman's kids. World. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know Beekman's World. Okay, yeah. Beekman's World. So Beekman's World. I'm glad like you said I'm too me. young, by the way. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so Beekman's World is awesome. If you've never seen it, go watch a clip. But Beekman's World is kind of my, it's like a science show for kids done in a real zany way. Uh, so if you picture, my hook is basically Beekman's World meets Alton Brown for marketing. That's how I think of it. Um, and so I try to explain and give examples of, you know, great, uh, revenue generating ideas from other companies, but told in a, in a way that feels more like Beekman's world and, and Alton Brown, uh, would, if he was doing a, a marketing show. So that's, that's kind of the second thing you need to hook. Uh, and you know, the third thing for, for me is that you, you got to make sure that you, you actually are creating content from a person to a person. Now for mm. me, that's easy because my business is me, right? Like there's no nothing else behind it. But I think a lot of corporations miss that opportunity. They forget to attach talent to the content they're creating. And actually I like to boat Lee. And so there's a, I, I have a, there's an app called Dakwa and it helps mm. you book docs for your boat. You can book it, book it anywhere. That's not important. What is important is that they send out a newsletter once a week and it comes from this woman named Becky at Dakwa. And that's what it says in the from line. Now, I don't know who Becky is. I've never met Becky, but I can tell you that at their trade show booths every year at boat shows around the country, the number one question they get is, is Becky, Becky here at the booth? I want to meet her. They've <laughs> built a relationship with mm. Becky, because she's the one that writes the newsletter and everybody wants to know who Becky is. So that's what I mean. You build a relationship with these people when you're creating content like that. And it has to be person to person, not brand to person. That just doesn't work anymore. It's interesting because when you talk about brand, I think the better it gets better and better, the more real the person is, the more personality it is. And you have the freedom that, you know, you are your brand, you are your company. So you can go as far as you feel comfortable going. But people <laughs> yeah. working within a company they may have amazing ideas, but because they can't be too much of themselves because they represent the company. How do you, mm. what would you say to a person who is definitely in a conservative company, 
but yeah. they're also tasked with do something original and different. Yeah, well, I would just tell them to remember always that good marketing is risky marketing. Mm, love like, it. Good I marketing is risky marketing. Good marketing is risky marketing. Like if you find yourself stuck in an organization where they're constantly saying, we can't do that, we're in a, a conservative industry, you know, whatever it is, we sell financial services or pharmaceuticals or we sell to boring B2B marketers, just keep telling the people that you work with that good marketing is risky marketing. And if we keep doing the same thing as everybody else, because that's the way the industry is, we're never going to stand out. So you've got to be willing to take some risks. And if you're the talent, if you have the opportunity to be the Becky at DACWA for industrial shelving, go do it. Like build yourself a little personality under your newsletter. And if they let you go for that, don't worry. I guarantee someone will hire you because you were the Becky at DACWA. Absolutely. You know, I mentioned that in the, the B content keynote because you know you could either be becky the line item that's safe mm -hmm. and nobody you know that can get hacked easily because she's just a line item or you can be exactly. becky that your company knows can go anywhere else and be becky and take exactly. their business with them <laughs> exactly all your ceo has to do is be at that trade show booth one time one day one hour to hear how many people are like hey can i is becky here can i meet becky is becky behind the and they'll be like, wow, are we paying Becky enough? Because <laughs> exactly. that's where all their traffic is coming from. So just exactly. be the Becky. That's our that's our new hashtag for the day. Be the Becky. Well, I don't know. That that has a lot of meaning, so I don't know about that one. Does it? Oh no. I don't is that inappropriate? Hopefully our audience doesn't the kids know. Gonna, Maybe our audience oh, doesn't no. know, which is fine. I'll I'll just you know, they you say when you tell me off the air, when you stumble, Liz, you Google walk forward real quick. Yeah. Well, they, Becky, they say when you stumble, there... walk forward quickly. So I'm going to walk forward quickly. Okay, good. Keep do that. Sheepers. <laughs> so, so Drew, let's talk about your personal brand. What was it intentional? Is my personal brand intentional? I mean, it's a series of decisions that I think each decision is intentional. How's that? So like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like when it comes to my speaking, I, I always wanted to know, I always wanted to like blow people's minds, but have fun on stage. I wanted people to smile. So that, that was like an intentional brand decision. Uh, you know, I wanted to, uh, from, a, I usually wear a bow tie. So if you guys are mm -hmm. watching the video version of this, I don't have it on. I'm a casual day today. Um, you know, the bow tie was intentional, but I've, I, I, as a kid, I used to wear a tie every day from middle school, from eighth grade, all the way through high school, every single day. In fact, on my letter jacket from swimming, it said Thai guy. That's what everybody called me in high school. <laughs> so it's um, you. It's truly authentically it's you. you. Yeah, it's just me. And it was an intentional decision when I was, you know, in eighth grade. I wanted to stand out and be different. And I, I realized that, you know, looking like Alex P. Keaton might do it. So I carried a briefcase and, and wore a, a tie. <laughs> and then everybody knew who I was, the guy with the briefcase and the tie. So, you know, I think... I think every one of the decisions I've made has been borrowing from the best in the business as I saw it. So it was borrowing from Alton Brown or, or Beekman or Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, you know, it was, or James Bond. I'm a big James Bond fan. So a lot of little decisions have been intentionally, you know, set and I've consistently tried to deliver on them so that I'm constantly building the brand and moving forward. I, I know that it must, and I, I've experienced this. I want to know if you've ever experienced it. So when I was a DJ, you know, DJs live off their personal brand. I mean, that's where before I knew the phrase personal brand, that's where I learned personal brand because yeah. you live day by day by who knows you, how consistent your brand is. You know, you need to have an image they think of. And so my personal brand at the time had two things that were consistent. I always had a hat on, typically yeah. backwards, <laughs> and I always had aviator glasses, mirrored aviator glasses. Oh, And 
that was I was consistent. And then I met my wife and she was doing PR and she became my PR agent. This is when before she's my wife. And yeah. it would come to a point where I want to go out somewhere and man, you know what? I don't want to wear these glasses. It's going to be too dark. She's like, you can't. You, uh, what do you mean? She's like, that's your brand. You cannot be seen. And, and it got to the point where when I, if I did go out, people would go, oh, I didn't recognize you without the hat and the glasses. This, I was like, really? The brand is that this, strong? <laughs> that's exactly what happens to me. I used to, when I lived in Boston, uh, I used to go to the same coffee shop every morning to get coffee. Uh, little, uh, I knew the owner from a previous job and the, the, everybody in the coffee shop used to know me and they would like, you know, say hi when I walked in. Well, if I had my contacts on and it was a Saturday, I would walk in and they would greet me like they never, they didn't know who I was. And I, I didn't put it to, I'm like, Hey, Ashley or whatever. And they'd say, hi, sir, how can I help you? And I'm like, J I just want the same thing I, I get every day. And they would say, well, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. And I'm like, it's Andrew, <laughs> like with the glass, the orange glasses. And, and they go, oh my gosh. I didn't. Yeah. So the same thing happens to me. I mean, you know, I think there's a point, you know, people like Ann Hanley, people of uh, uh, Scott Monty, who wears bow ties as well. There's a point at which you realize the, the, you've built a strong enough brand that people are drawing it and sending it to you. And it's just glasses, you know, some funky mm -hmm. hair and a bow tie. And you're like, well, I guess that says it all, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you've thought, the, thought of this before, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, Lee, but it, it, it's kind of a catch-22. Because if you want to make a change and, you know, do something different, you know, you find yourself wondering, am I going to destroy the brand I've built by doing something where I don't wear the bow tie? I, I, you know, I'm going to start showing up in shorts and Hawaiian shirts. Is that going to be weird? Um, a friend of mine is the CEO, was the CEO of Rackspace and the founder of Rackspace, which is why I mentioned earlier, I guess. But he wore Hawaiian shirts and it started as an accident, you know, mm. uh, and he's become known. He always has to wear a Hawaiian shirt. Otherwise, people are disappointed when he shows up at an event wearing a, a tux or something. They're like, where's your Hawaiian shirt? So it's a catch 22. I think it's, you yeah. know, you've got to be able to evolve your brand and be confident enough, I think, to, to do that. And that, I think that goes for anybody. Yeah, and I think it also evolves. I mean, it also includes any kind of brand, not just a personal brand, but a company brand. Absolutely. You know, and I guess with a personal brand, depending on where you're at in your career, it could be less risky than, say, if you're McDonald's and decide you want to have a you oh, know, yeah, golden exactly. MC, a golden MC with a big D instead of, a you know, um, <laughs> you know, Mickey D's. You know, it just doesn't work. The golden arches are where they are. But yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely relate to, I mean, because I, I, even with you, you know, Having my background, having built built a personal brand, and then also now more recently coach people on personal brands, I um when I first saw you, I was okay. He's a content marketing bro. He's got these orange glasses on and the bow tie. I was think was orange at the time too. I'm like, let's see how long this guy can carry this on. You know, will he always <laughs> have on orange glasses, which you do right now? <laughs> I do. Fair I'm like, does he have I, a different? How many pairs? I do you almost have? didn't wear them. I almost really? didn't wear them, Lee. And my <laughs> wife was like, you got to put on your glasses. So your wife and my wife should just hang out. <laughs> Definitely. They they know how. We have a new, a whole new genre. It's called husband branding. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> got to keep the money flowing. It's a show flowing, where right? only two, two people show up every time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, Drew, before we wrap up, um, I want to tell listeners, you know, about one of your keynotes that I found very impactful. Um, it's called the curiosity factor. So without satisfying their curiosity, tell us about that keynote and how it's been received. Yeah, sure. The curiosity factor is f one of my favorite uh, presentations I've ever put together. But it's it basically I got frustrated 
that people, every piece of content I seemed to read at the time was telling me how long things needed to be. Like if you want people to read your blog post, it can't be over 800 words. If you're going to, you know, create a video, it can't be longer than two minutes and 34 seconds. Cause that's the average length of the most popular videos on YouTube. And so I, it really annoyed me. So I spent about a year trying to figure out why people can say your video only needs to be short and, and people will only have time to consume short, you know, snackable content. Uh, but those same people will binge watch Stranger Things for two days on a weekend. And <laughs> yeah. I thought there must be a reason Stranger Things can hold people's attention better than our newsletters, right? Uh, or our podcasts or our shows. So, I, you know, I spent a lot of time kind of trying to figure out what the formula was. And the curiosity factor is basically, you know, the, what I found is that there's a very simple formula uh, to earning people's attention. And it's very simple. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I don't want to give it away the whole thing, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, and the formula is just attention equals you know, like interest over time multiplied by a payoff. Um, and it's really, really simple. You just got to create curiosity gaps in the mind of your audience and keep them chasing an answer. So actually, you did it really well in this in this podcast, Lee. I don't know if it was intentional, but I think it's just because <laughs> you're a good content creator. But you said you said three times. I'm going to tell you about the the like one of one of Drew's speeches in a minute. We're going to get to it in a minute. I won't tell you now, but I'm going to get to it. Those are curiosity gaps, and it's what keeps people engaged, even subconsciously. They're chasing an answer, uh, and that's how you earn their attention. So. Props to a great content creator like you for doing Definitely. it. Well, you know, you, you don't you don't uh, encounter people like you enough where you, it doesn't rub off on you. I mean, you know, there's there's definitely, <laughs> I said be, early yeah. on that I take notes. So some of those were mental notes. That was probably one of them. So, uh, and, and to this day, uh, I never see a goldfish in a bowl and don't think about oh. something you said. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> about That's a curiosity span. gap. <laughs> That's a curiosity gap to see how much, I, I almost want to stop and just stare him down to see how long his attention span is. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But That's you know what? Awesome. It, it never works because I give up and lose attention myself. Yeah. See? <laughs> see, goldfish do have a long attention span. That's the lesson. That's the whole lesson of that speech. The, yeah, that's the lesson. And the goldfish wins against me every time. Every time. So, Drew, tell us how we can find you and, and possibly connect with you. Sure. Well, you can find me on on YouTube if you just search Loyalty Loop and Andrew Davis. You can find me there. Uh, you know, that's where I put up my Loyalty Loop videos. You can find me on LinkedIn. I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. Or, uh, yeah, or you can find me at akadrewdavis.com. Uh, you know, there's my speaking information. Or you can sign up for Loyalty Loop there and I'll send it to you in your inbox every Thursday, a day before everybody else in the world will make an appointment together and have some fun. And I'll, I'll have a video this week for you. That's, that's Absolutely. Well, you're entertaining, educating, and consistent. So I appreciate you, Drew. Thanks, man. Thank Thanks you. for joining. You too. Thank you for listening to the Business of Marketing podcast, a show brought to you by ContentMonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on ContentMonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.